Founder and Managing Director at Marlab. Welcome, Bobby. Nice to be here. Well, thank you for making the time. I know you're busy because you're a well-known name in the Australian marketplace for your uh, media marketing, PR, and also content creation. Marlab's doing an amazing job at producing really high-quality content for your clients, aren't you? We are. We were one of the first companies in Australia that came out of custom publishing to really, really embrace and understand content marketing, which is how you use content for marketing purposes in a digital-first age. And um, it's been a fantastic trajectory and a story of transformation, of taking a company over 20 years from what was a print environment to now, which is very firmly a digital-first environment that works with global companies and um, a major Associations. And it's a big transformation. I mean, it's not as simple as going from print to, to digital because people do consume content differently, don't they? They really do. And so in our business, what the core of what we do is similar, but how we do it is worlds apart. And so the skill sets in the business are very, very different to they were when I founded the business in 1997. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, we're com- I'm coming up for my 20th anniversary in January. And it's amazing because, you know, that seems like a long period of time. But I think it's because the world keeps changing and yeah. that I find myself changing the business to the to suit the world. That's Have you found the same thing? Totally. I'm, I'm amazed at the longevity, um, but it is, is, has always been and continues to be a really fascinated, fascinating business to be involved with. And that's because the change is constant, exponential. And I've got to say, over that 20 odd years, I feel like I've actually run five different businesses. And, um, and I think that that constant reinvention and constantly asking, what is the marketplace looking for? What does it need? Where is the leadership needed? Has been one of the things that's really kept us alive. Well, um, it's interesting you should say five different businesses. So that's every sort of four years. And I know it doesn't fall exactly like yeah. that. I mean, I have a, a process of getting the team together and, and really spending a few days focusing on it. We do that annually. But if I look back, it's every three to four years we've had a major sort of, I think they call it a pivot. Yes. You know, um, isn't that the term that they use for technology startups? They pivot. They do. So we pivot every three to four years, which yeah. is quite interesting, similar experience. Well, I think um, in, in the language of our business, it's not so much that we pivot, but that we add offerings that make sense and that make the content we produce work even harder for our clients. So, for example, 18 months ago, the business expanded into PR because earned media is a distribution channel for content. And our our belief is that the best PR these days is content-led and that's been a really successful initiative. If I took us back four years ago, we really built the company up in terms of paid amplification and distribution because it wasn't enough just to be producing great content and have great content strategy. You have to actually make sure it's getting to the right people in the right places in the right time and that content performance becomes a key part of what we do. 
So it's not for us so much pivoting, but rather expanding the offering to just get better and better and better and delivering the results. Yeah, uh, we're slightly different in that we always feel like if we add something, we have to drop something. (laughs) Otherwise, you just end up getting sort of, from our perspective, bigger and and more unwieldy. Right. But um, I remember our first office was at, we were sharing some space at 63 South Bank Boulevard. Mm -hmm. And your office was just around the corner on, uh, was it City Road? Yeah, that was was actually my mother's business. It wasn't my office and it was a different business, um, but the same family name. Yeah, right, okay. Mm. I thought that was, uh, so it was a family connection, but not actually your business. That's right, yeah. So I I started this business in Sydney, so I come from Melbourne, but have been in Sydney. A Melbourne girl. A Melbourne girl, Melbourne girl at heart, but very much a Sydney transplant and I've been up here for more than 20 years. Oh, same here, but I'm Mine's only been uh, 10, 11 years so okay. far. But uh, do you have your walking shoes on? I always have my walking shoes on. Now, the reason I say that, of course, is because you're one of two people that bought mentor walks to Australia from uh, from overseas. Well, I did. So mentor walks is um, a venture that the co-founder, Adina Jacobs, and I bought to Sydney in October 2016. And Mentor Walks is a walk and talk speed mentoring program for career women. Um, and interestingly, there's a large cohort of women for media and marketing who come come to our walks. Um, but since I have to say, when I first saw people sharing that on LinkedIn and other social, especially LinkedIn, I was really jealous because you know, there is nothing like going for a walk and having a chat, is there? There is. It is fantastic because what the way it works is that we were running it um, currently in seven cities. Um, wow. And that includes, we started it in Sydney and it's a really high growth startup. Um, we started it in Sydney, it went to Brisbane, then um, Wollongong, Melbourne, this year Canberra, Warrigal, Balboa Shire in Victoria and Geelong in regional Victoria. Um, and in each case, um, we have really incredible groups of senior women from all sorts of disciplines who um, believe in the principle that good women help good women and that there are so many women that need to have conversations about their careers but don't know where to have them. Um, So what we are about is about making mentoring accessible but also accelerating the change for women. We want them to be able to have the conversations that are helpful when they need it. Um, And we have a mentor group of about now 260 extraordinary women from every discipline um, and we have just surpassed our 1700 mentee who's taken part in the program. So it's been phenomenally... That's, that's a quick growth, isn't it, over, what, four, uh, three years? Yeah, not even three years, yeah. yeah. So, you know, what our plan is, is to take it to even more regional cities, more capital cities, and grow it out, um, and really with the agenda that we want to be able to support more women and give them access to mentors. Right. Mm. So, um, but you actually, uh, this is not an idea invented here, is it? No, it's, um, it came, um, it was very happy circumstances that it happened. Um, I um, am an alumni of Ernst & Young's Entrepreneurial Winning Women program okay. and that's where um, they each year ask about 15 women from the Asia-Pacific region to take part in the program and it's to help women-led businesses scale and grow. 
And I was in Shanghai speaking at their conference, and they have an annual conference for this, and um, met a fantastic woman whose name is Michelle Garno. And she comes from Melbourne, but has lived in China for the last 30 years. And she introduced fine dining to China. Um, M on the Bund is a restaurant a lot of people that go to Shanghai would know. Um, And she also runs the Shanghai Literary Festival. And in Beijing about four, probably now five years ago, um, she started Mentor Walks, which the local chambers of commerce came together and a handful of times a year they would collaborate and get together some mentors and mentees and they'd walk um, and talk. So I happened to be um, at this conference where Adina Jacobs was as well. And it happened to be on um, a week where Michelle was running a mentor walk. So early one morning, we get in this rickety old cab and we go to this park in the middle of Shanghai with all these people doing Tai Chi and all the, you know, tinny radios and everything you'd expect. And um, we went on a mentor walk and got to the gates of the park at the end. And Adina and I looked at each other and said, this is such a simple, high impact, effective idea. We've got to bring it to Australia. And three months later, we launched here. And that's one of the things I think really appeals is that in some ways it's such a simple idea of you know just getting mentors and mentees together and going for a walk i mean after all you need your walking shoes and an introduction you do but i imagine it's a little more complex than that it is so what what the way it works is that um it's an event program so in melbourne and sydney it's running every month in sydney uh, mentees have to apply to come and when they're offered a spot, um, that we charge them only $25, which is a show-up fee, um, and um, they let us so, know... So to make sure you don't get too many no-shows. That's you know, right, because we've commitment. got... That's right, because we've got all these incredible senior women, um, people like Michelle Guthrie from the ABC, Odette Elgzell, who's one of the finest social entrepreneurs in the country, you know, the leaders of various accounting firms. I mean, the diversity of the mentors. And they are all... Um, Uh, they're all there because they believe in investing in other women. So when you have such extraordinary talent there waiting to help you, the last thing you want to do is have women who don't turn up to make the most of of the event. Um, So thankfully, it's, you know, women do always pretty much show up and... um, uh, and the way it works is that they we ask them to tell us what the issue they want to discuss is before they come, and we will put them with the mentor who we think they'll have the best conversation with on that issue. And women are um, welcome to come back as many times as they like, and they often do. And um, we put up to three mentees with a mentor, and they walk and talk for that hour, and they help each other with their issues. So what happens is at the end of the walk, you realise that you've not only received help with what your issue is, but you've, you realise that you've got a contribution to make to other people on their issues, regardless at what point of their career they're in. And examples of that is, you know, I've, I've um, taken groups where someone who's you know 25 in their first job will ask one question that is so clever and insightful that it just changes the whole direction of of the answer for this you know the individual that asked it a little like these podcasts yes there you go because <laughs> it's great to have a conversation where you don't have a plan yeah but you just actually interact with each other it's great also because we're walking so the outdoor element of it is really really important so in every location we are somewhere that's 
green or beautiful. So in Sydney, um, we walk through the botanical gardens. In Melbourne, it's th- it's along the Tan. In Brisbane, it's the botanical gardens along the Brisbane River. In Wollongong, it's along the beach. So the combination of walking and talking are, is re- and being outdoors is really, really important. And the other thing that's important to it is that we walk regardless of weather. So even if it's pouring, the meeting will take place. Okay. And, um, and, you Come know, rain, hail or shine. Yeah, because, you know, if you're really serious about getting ahead and you're really serious about accessing the best minds in the country, you turn up, mm. you know. And, if, and um, I think it really says something about someone if they're willing to, you know, get out of bed on a grim morning because they know the upside of what they, you know, believing in what will happen if they show up. So there's an anthropological reason mm-hmm. for walking as well because mm-hmm. when we're walking or exercising, mm-hmm. it apparently makes our brain, uh, our cognitive function in our brain kick into gear. It does. And when you sit down mm-hmm. and chat, mm-hmm. your brain goes more into relaxed mode. Yep. So it act, you know, more like recounting stories and things like that but not actually necessarily processing which is really weird because in the modern office era, we do all our business sitting down. And yet, in actual fact, mental walks has tapped into the fact that going for a walk is actually going to make those interactions more powerful and uh, have a great leave a greater impression on the participants because you're physically walking along. That's it. right. So the science absolutely supports it. And it and you know in in my my Marlab business there are a lot of walking meetings taking place for for all those all those good reasons. But there's another um, characteristic of it which is um, about building intimacy. So. For people who have teenage children, they know the best conversations are in the car when no one's looking each other in the eye and you can have those kind of, you know, the conversations that don't happen anywhere else. So there's an element of that at mental walks too because you're walking and you can't look everyone in the eye all the time but you know you're in an atmosphere of one where it's 100% confidential and very safe and there's immediate trust. So you have particularly good conversations because of that environment. Because mm. I also think um, you said there's usually three mentees. Up to, to three. Up yep. to three, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's also a sense of being a group. You know, there's the bonding of the group. I imagine that's part of the uh, process. Um, and some of the, um, we measure impact really carefully. And some of the things that are happening after people go, come on a walk or, or a number of walks is one, a number of the mentees continue to meet and keep helping each other. So, for example, in a group I led last month there was a woman there who had great financial skills and business planning skills a woman who had um, was a trained um, uh, trained at training people how to present Mm -hmm. and so they are meeting to help each other they've bartered their skills one's helping the other write her business plan and the other is teaching um, her colleague how to present so that's just one example Um, and that's happening time and time again Um, 
you know, we get a lot of mentees coming on the walk who are very, very senior. They don't, this is not just a, um, a starting out in your career gig. Um, you know, we've got a couple of mentees who should be mentors, but they are getting so much out of being a mentee and the conversation, the connections mm-hmm. they're made. Um, one just accepted a role on a board that she was going to say no to because the mentor she walked with said, you're not living a big enough life. You can do it. And she has, and she's really pleased. That's great. So, yeah. And, and look, I think also, because um, you said you match people up, mm-hmm. It's quite different to what people usually think of mentor roles where it's one, you know, two people and they have this sort of ongoing relationship because that's actually can quite easily fall into a pattern or a rut. Not that's a rut, but yeah, I'll say rut. Yep. Yeah. Whereas this is actually quite dynamic, isn't it's, it? It's really dynamic. And, you know, sometimes I describe it that we're bringing a startup mentality to mentoring, which is it's fast and furious and what's your issue and let's help you work on it now and, you know, move on quickly. Right. So it's that test and learn and, and you know, pivot or whatever whatever yeah. it is. But it's much more a much more immediate way of, um, of discussing issues. Now, you mentioned, you know, because uh, Sydney, Melbourne, you mm-hmm. know, capital cities, mm-hmm. Canberra maybe, mm-hmm. but uh, regional Australia as well. That's quite interesting. It's been, um, we've been fortunate to get the support of the Victorian government to um, try a couple of pilots in Victoria. So we've launched in um, Geelong and in Warragul, which is the Bulbor Shire. And they've both been really different experiences and equally successful. Um, So, for example, two of the people leading it for us in the um, Warrigal area, one is the local mayor and the other is a dairy farmer who is the most switched-on social media person you could ever imagine. And in that area, it's a very um, geographically dispersed area. So people travel a long way to come to a walk, right? So that in itself has got a different quality. Um, Geelong, which is a, you know, now growing a lot regional area, it's got a lot of government businesses. Mm-hmm. The Transport Accident Commission is there and various other things. They're all relocating down yeah. there. Deakin University is there. So um, the type, so you have a lot of employed women mm-hmm. there um, as opposed to, say, in Sydney where we have such a huge mix between women who are working for corporates or for government or universities or whatever and the whole kind of um, a self-employed startup community. So it's much more of a mix in Sydney, whereas in Geelong, it's more women who are employed by other organisations. And in all sorts of levels within that organisation. All sorts of levels. To very senior positions yep, as well. it is. And so that's really a, a great thing because to walk in a group where you've got someone there who's got 30 years experience and someone there who's got seven years experience and you know I think what happens to us in our careers is that you tend to spend your time with people at similar levels with you and it's um, so to walk in those groups where you're um, where you're interacting with people at all different levels of their careers it's a really fantastic um, I you know learning thing and you that, you know, we know that empathy is a characteristic of, of um, successful employees increasingly going forward. So that ability to understand what other people's lives look like, and particularly in the workplace in this context, is actually really useful. Yeah, and I can imagine, you know, that it's as rewarding or often sometimes more rewarding for the mentors. Yeah, it is. 
yeah. As it is for the mentor. Yeah, yeah. I, and all the mentors say that. Um, and they, you know, they're all there because, as I've said before, they believe in helping other people succeed and that's that's the mantra of the whole, um, the whole program. Um, but all of them um, get joy out of seeing other people flourish and they learn from the questions and the perspectives of the other people in the group. So I think it attracts a very um, open-minded and kind of curious person who really wants to learn from as many different people as they can. So it's absolutely a two-way street. But you're a busy person, you know, you're running a, a, a successful business, you know, you've got a, a, a life. Yeah. How do you make time for this? So we joke and we call it our after 8pm business. We run the whole business virtually. We've got one and a half full-time employees now. Um, it's something that I make time for because I really believe in it and I and um, I couldn't be happier with the impact it's having. And as I said, we're here to accelerate the change. And um, I, um, I, it's always been really important to me and to my ethos that you contribute your, to your community in whatever way that looks like for you, whether that's, you know, helping out with the school barbecue or, um, you know, working to get a poly elected or whatever it is. I think that um, and we at different points in our life have different um time that we can devote to those sorts of things but I think really as a as a print as a value set for me um being able to um you know contribute to a better world whatever that looks like for you is really important so Mm. I will I make time for it and I'm really um yeah really it's a joyous thing for me it's interesting isn't it Um, my mother used to always say if you want something done give it to a busy person yeah well, that's true, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. even though you're busy, you've made time because this is so important. So, yeah. and I'm going to ask, what do you personally get out of it? Yeah, you've sort of told me that you know you you've committed to making a contribution. Can you share something that you've particularly felt rewarded about? Um, yes. Um, so uh, last week I met. Um, a woman who had come on a walk and she's the one who had accepted the position on the board she was going to say no to. And that was directly a result of the conversation she had on that walk with her mentor. Um, I've had other people who um, over LinkedIn will write to me, that promotion I went for, I got it. Or um, there are, you know, or I see um, someone on their profile on LinkedIn say that they are a mentor walks mentor and that it's something of pride for them to be involved with. So um, there are all sorts of ways that, that I'm, I'm seeing it. And I think the nice thing for me is I'm not expecting any, any of it. You know, I'm just putting it out there and when you do that and you see this fantastic stuff happen... Yeah, it's not a transaction, is it's it? It's not a transaction, no. It's a contribution. Yeah. And, you know, I think my role, if I can if I can enable other people, then my work is done. You know, that's really what, what I want to do. So just to probably pivot. <laughs> okay. Um, there are a lot of issues for, I mean, women in business generally, mm-hmm. but particularly in media marketing and advertising. Yep. Yeah. Um, we've seen the uh, the impact of the Me Too and the uh, 
all of the discussions and activities about getting gender balance right and, and representation. Uh, the, without obviously giving away any confidences, because mm -hmm. as you said, you know, these mentor walks are a safe, mm -hmm. confidential environment. Mm -hmm. What are some of the, the conversations or the issues that are coming up gen or, or quite regularly in the mentor walks that reflect on this? Okay, so um, a lot is an exploration about how to get to the next step, right? So, so what do I? What are the conversations I need to do? Have what is the training I need to do to go to the next step in my career? What are the paths open to me? What are the questions that I need to be asking and exploring to know what to do next? Um, a lot of them are about how you have constructive conversations with your manager to find those things out or to get what you, what you need. Um, you know, we just had um, someone post on Insta, um, someone who walked in Warrigal, who walk, came on a walk and then went back to work and asked for a promotion and got it. And, you know, she was ecstatic. So those those conversations happen. There are a lot of conversations. Sorry, but sometimes it really is just getting permission from your peer group your support group to yep. actually stand up and ask can be all that it takes, can't it? It can be. And often for, I think, all of us, sometimes you feel messy in your head about an issue. You're not sure, you're just not sure how to frame it or... Um, and so what happens when you have a conversation on a walk is it helps you get clarity. It's somewhere you don't have to have your head straight to come on a walk. In fact, where it can deliver a lot of help is when, <laughs> when you're unsure and you don't know and mm. it can help you find your path through. Um, we often get questions, um, people who um, are thinking about going out on their own or they have a side hustle. When's the right time to do that? How do I, you know, um, how do I... Um, what kind of, um, how do I get customers, um, should I go out on my own or I already have this organisation and do I take this product to Singapore or not, right? Um, other things that come up a lot are about the juggle between work and family and um, how where they're asking questions, how have you managed to further your career about had a successful home life and, you know, how do you do that trade-off? Um, that's always an interesting one and I have a personal hobby horse here because I think the whole discussion about balance is so misguided and so yeah. useless, right? And well, let's, let's see. My, uh, my personal view about balance is I'm like a tightrope walker who suddenly is tilting one way for way too long and then finally goes back the other way and yeah. I keep saying to people, as long as I don't fall off the, yeah. uh, the line, yeah. the... the then I'm in balance. That's but, right. But, you know, you find yourself investing in one or the other way too much. Yeah. But overall, there should be balance. Well, there you go. So, and I think I think that conversation everywhere, men and women, needs to be had a lot more because it's a bit like when you think about the concept of happiness. Happiness is a fleeting moment, right? Contentedness is the sort of more general mm -hmm. state. So balance is probably like those 
unusual moments of, or you know, hopefully more usual moments of happiness. But that general contented state is what what you're looking for, and what does that look like? And that really is about flexibility because mm. you need different things in different times of your working life. You need different things in different times of your home life, and so being able to switch things up and down is actually what we all need. That's more useful than talking about balance. And I think the conversation about balance sets us all up for, for, to fail because I don't think it exists. Well, yeah, it sets an unrealistic expectation. Yeah. So when you said before about, you know, it's it's that old uh, line about having it all. Yeah. The fact is that I don't think anyone can have it all. Yeah. Everything comes with compromise. That's you know, right. It just comes down to at what level are you comfortable with the compromise I think probably the biggest issue for all of us is compromise in the short term, but what's the consequence in the long term? Yeah. You know, so what you said before about you know happiness is in a moment, mm-hmm. contentment is longer term, mm-hmm. but you know, really understanding what's important for you. Yeah. The other one that resonated for me personally was when do you go out? Mm-hmm. You know, when does a side hustle turn into the hustle? Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, it took me until I was 39 years of age of working for someone else to mm-hmm. go out and set up your own business. Yeah. And it really is a sense of leaping off the edge into the unknown, but it you is. need a certain level of bravado and, and a certain level of confidence and just, you know, willing to, I was going to say suck it and see, but, yeah, yeah that's literally it, isn't it? It is. And I think... I. Um, I like the conversation around the word courage a lot because I think that confidence is much more difficult to define and harder to get. But courage is that moment where you you hold your breath and you do something, Mm. right? And usually what you've described, that's what it takes. It takes courage to take the leap, to Mm. make the change and those sorts of things. And, um, And... when you think about courage, it actually sits in a different place in your body, right? You, yeah. It sits in your chest and you yeah. sort of take hold your <laughs> you breath. You feel, feel yeah. the weight. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I think often um, it's a more useful conversation to talk about courage than confidence. Yeah. Well, because also um, confidence, I guess, can be something that people put on. You know, it's imposter syndrome, I think, affects most people that yeah. uh, are pushing the boundaries or, or trying something that they're not completely uh, confident that they can do. Yeah. And so they often feel like they've, you know, what is it, fake it till you make it? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and I think one of the things we find with mentor walks that, that um, is that I think it's hard for people to have certain conversations in their own workplace or even in their own industry. Um, And it's really important to have other places where you can safely have conversations and get different perspectives. And what we are trying to do with Mental Walks is help people get out of their um, sector bubble and get diverse experience and diverse views um, that will help them think differently. And um, that we're finding also is really successful. So there was out, without question, industry knowledge sometimes is really what you need for a great conversation. 
but diverse thinking. Um, you know, if you look at the whole argument now for diverse boards and diverse companies, and you know, it's proven that that contributes to the bottom line. Um, and particularly in a world that's increasingly non-linear, where, where you know, all our careers are going to be like macrame and all over the place, I think having access to different ways of thinking and being able to have those conversations is really important. I think that applies to most of our formal relationships in that even our friends are inclined to be you know, fitting into a certain yep. you know, pattern. Yep. We attract people, like-minded people. Mm. Um, and yet often all of those relationships that we trust and we've built up over time, mm. we forget that they come with a particular perspective or position that that person takes. So, mm -hmm. you know, you turn to your closest friends and say, oh, I'm thinking of applying for a job overseas. Mm -hmm. they, it could be that they have a sense of, you know, potential loss, so mm -hmm. they'll tell you not to do it and all the reasons why not, I think. Getting um, advice from a trusted but nevertheless independent, you know, quite independent source is unbelievable. Mm. It's such a great opportunity. Mm. Mm. So uh, what are the, are the big issues that are facing women? Um, Look, I think what comes up a lot is um, how can I make sure I get heard? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, that um, that's a conversation that's been going on for a long, long time um, that I think particularly when women are working in environments where they're we're vastly un outnumbered, um, sometimes it is very difficult to be heard. So questions about not just how do you get a t seat at the table, but how do you how are you heard? Um, I, that that comes up a lot. I think um, there is a generational change, do you think or not? From the conversations you have. Yeah. I'm really not sure about that. Okay. Yeah. No, please. Yeah. I'm not sure there is a generational change around it. I think that um, I think that there are also what has happened is that it's recognised that particularly around digital skills, it's the younger generations that have those skills. And so older generations know they have to listen and be guided by people that understand things they don't, that they have to learn them. So I think that that sense of reverse mentoring over generations, that's a really great opportunity and that that's understood. Um, but I'm not sure that generally um, the idea of um, that we are going to listen to the I think still for many women, being heard in corporate environments when they're vastly outnumbered is still very much an issue. So a core of our, of our business is running um, agency selection programs. Yeah. yeah. And so one of the things that uh, still amazes me is the way that there are still agencies that are, are primarily managed by groups of men. Mm -hmm but also that where they've actively um, tried to get gender balance mm -hmm. and promoted women, mm -hmm. the interactions during a pitch is still the men are in the leadership role oh, okay. and the women are automatically repositioned into support roles even though they're supposedly all the management team. Wow. And it's really interesting to watch because you can almost see that it's unconscious. They've consciously made a decision to have a more rep gender representative management team, mm -hmm. but that people fall into almost like stereotypical mm. roles 
And you just wonder, you know, when are we going to get to the point that this is just natural? Mm. Especially in such an unnatural environment as a, a pitch or yeah. a tender process. Yeah. It's really quite interesting. It is interesting, yeah. So when you talk about being heard, you know, I can really see that happening because uh, one of my favourite observations is that when there's a mixed gender team doing a presentation, and I'll often, you know, we'll walk them out of the room off, you know, at the end of the presentation. The men will often say, that was a great presentation. And what they're actually saying is, didn't I do well? (laughs) And the women will be going, I'm not sure Mm -hmm. that we actually resonated with these people Mm -hmm. because they've just taken a total, they have a different perspective. Mm. It's not about them. Yes. It's about the room. Yes. And some may say, oh, that, Darren, you're being stereotypical. But it's an observation I make that, Mm. that I think one of the things about diversity of the team, even if it's gender diversity, before we get into you know, race and economic diversity and things like that, mm. just gender diversity, is that you've got different people observing the same event mm. and often having quite different perspectives on it, which is incredibly valuable. Unbelievably valuable. The, a moment of um, great pride for me was when a prospective client said to me that she'd been to the Malab website and she'd seen what a diverse mob we were in age, in gender, in every way, shape and form. And I was so delighted by that um, because, you know, for me, diversity breeds great work, but also because the audiences that we are producing content for are so diverse and our clients are diverse, that that diversity is needed in terms of really understanding the audiences and the clients. Um, And I think that that kind of feeds into what what you're saying, which is um, really thinking very carefully about who you're talking to and what's important to them. And that really is the essence of content marketing. It's, you know, how do we, how can we be helpful and useful to our customers is all the mindset. So I, I'm really fascinated by what you've said about pitches, yeah. Well, it's just um, we always uh, make sure we position ourselves in the room separate from the interaction mm-hmm. so that you can observe it. Yeah. You don't want to be drawn into the inter- you know, the interaction because then you're a participant and not an observer. Yeah. Whereas it's much more insightful to be the observer. Indeed. And do you find from the client's point of view in a pitch that diversity is increasingly important to them or does it come up or not at all? It's interesting because if you deliberately raise it, people have a mixed reaction to it. Mm -hmm. But I think subconsciously it's present. If it appears that someone's trying to be diverse and it comes across a little bit tokenism, Mm -hmm. it works against you. Right. Whereas if it's natural to clearly the culture and the the values of the organisation, then that's a strength. Right. And I think that's really a great, you know, direction for the industry to take because Mm -hmm. while we talk about, you know, wanting to get, closing the gap and getting... Um, uh, gender balance in organisations. I think it's not enough to, well, we should consciously do it, but um, because otherwise it may never happen. Mm-hmm. But then the next step is to actually normalise it mm-hmm. and then just go, okay, mm-hmm. we've got to that point. Now let's just get on with the job. Yeah. That it's not about having to think about being diverse. Yeah. It just is diverse. Yeah. Exactly. And clearly that's what you've achieved with your. 
uh, company, yeah. Marlo, because you know that's the reaction you're getting from your clients. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bobby, we've run out of time. It's been fantastic. I mean, it's just flown by. But, like, such a great idea, the mentor walks. And clearly uh, it's been incredibly successful already. Can I ask just uh, before we finish up, um, where to next for mentor walks? Can you ever see the Australian Parliament actually going for walks together? Mm -hmm.